This is the fourth in a series of talks by Joel titled, The Practice of Inquiry 4, Are You a Body? Recorded October 16th, 2006, at the Cloud Mountain Retreat Center in Castle Rock, Washington. The Tibetan master Tulku Urgen Rinpoche writes, The sutras mention twofold egolessness. And by the way, egolessness here is just another way of saying emptiness. So it could be twofold emptiness, the way we've been talking about it. Twofold egolessness. The lack of a self entity in the grasped external objects is called egolessness of phenomena. So when we go investigate a clock and we don't find any self entity, any independently existing object, called clock, that is in their terms the egolessness of the clock. So he's just talking about what we've been exploring yesterday. And then he says, the lack of self-entity of the inner fixating mind is called the egolessness of person. To resolve that grasping and fixation, subject and object, have no self-nature, is to realize the twofold egolessness. So what he's saying is that the insight into the emptiness of objects is only half the picture in terms of enlightenment. Full enlightenment requires insight also into the emptiness of the subject or the self. So it's insight into both the emptiness of the object and also the emptiness of the self. The lack of inherent existence, to use technical terms that we started to introduce yesterday, of any I, self, me, in here. So it's important to note, again, that this teaching about the emptiness of self or lack of inherent existence of self even though we are following a Buddhist kind of terminology here, because it's very precise, is not, strictly speaking, a Buddhist teaching. This is the teaching of the mystics of all traditions. And here's just some samples. Ramana Maharshi, who's a Hindu, says, If one inquires, for whom is their bondage and liberation, it will be seen they are for me. If one inquires, who am I, one will see that there is no such thing as the I. So he's saying exactly what uh, the Rinpoche said. No I exists, no self can be found, just like no object can be found when we go look for it. And he's putting in terms of a practice of inquiry. If we continue with our inquiry, which we are going to do, this is what he says we're going to find out. But of course we can't take his word for it, because that won't do us any good. We'll just end up with a theory. So we have to go through this ourselves. Even if you completely believe it, even if you trust Ramana Maharshi with your life, he would be the first one to say, don't stop there. Don't just take my word for it. Here's Ibn Arabi, again the great Sufi, Existence belongs to Allah, and non-existence belongs to you. He, Allah, is an existent being forever, and you are non-existent forever. It's nice to hear it put in different ways from different traditions, you know. We got used to hearing the Buddhist way, and then another way. But you see, it's exactly the same thing, isn't it? Isn't he saying exactly the same thing? I love that one. Non-existence belongs to you. Nothing belongs to you. Here's Catherine of Siena, a great Christian mystic. In self-knowledge thou wilt humble thyself, seeing that in thyself thou dost not even exist. Same teaching, isn't it? Now, we should note that it is possible to have one insight without the other. Most accounts that you read 
of enlightenment, I think you'll find that it's one insight. They don't distinguish. It's just like one slashing through. Boom, that's it. Ramana Maharshi is a good example. But it is also possible to have a sort of one-two, one shoe drops and the other shoe drops, or one shoe drops and the other shoe doesn't drop. So we have to be aware of that. And what happens, for instance, when we have an insight into the emptiness of objects, when we have a non-conceptual, direct insight, the way we were talking about the other day, not just we start to understand it theoretically or get a little glimpse here or there, but when it really, boom, it's like, I get it, there's no object here, and I look out and I don't see any object anywhere in the universe. That usually produces what I call a unity experience. And it's quite common on a spiritual path, and you'll read about it very often. People have an experience that it's all one. See, it's not separate objects anymore. It's just all one. And even themselves, they'll feel very much a part of the oneness. It's usually a very lovely, blissful experience. But there still is a sense that I am experiencing this. There's an I in there that is maybe connected to everything, but is still there. It's not gone. The insight into the emptiness of self can often produce fear. And then of the two insights, an insight into the emptiness of self is more profound because that gets to the heart of the story of I and the delusion of self, but it's also the more difficult to attain, primarily because we have more resistance to it. We start to get there and we start to experience a little fear or a little strangeness or a sense of, ooh, something ooh is going on here, and we want to back away. But the way we go about attaining an insight into the emptiness of self or the subject is basically the same as the way we went about getting an insight into the emptiness of objects. And that is to conduct an inquiry to go look and see is there any inherently existing self amid all the phenomena that we usually think of as self. Or to put it another way, is to go look and see if there is a real existing referent to words like I, me, mine, which we use all the time. We use it all the time in our speech. We use them all the time in our own thoughts, in our story of I. I'm doing this, I don't don't like that, I like that, yakety, yakety, yakety. But... Does that I refer to anything? Or is it like the pronoun it that we use when we talk about it is raining that really doesn't refer to anything? So, that's what we're going to do. Now, the first thing we need to do to prepare ourselves to make this inquiry, however, is to ask, who or what do you think you are? In other words, what do you think constitutes yourself? So you want to analyze that a little bit, figure that out, and then you can systematically go and examine each of those things and find out, is it really yourself or not? Uh, In Hinduism, the experience of a self, of the delusion of a self, is attributed to what they call five koshas, which means coverings, which, in their metaphor, are wrapped around the true self, the Atman, who you really are, and that Atman is Brahman, the ultimate reality, consciousness itself. And so the metaphor is they're like skins of an onion. You peel each of these coverings away until you get down to the core, and then the core is pure consciousness. And the five coverings are the material body, prana, which we don't even have a concept for in our culture, but roughly translated as the vital energy that 
uh, animates the body, the life force, maybe we'd call it, sense perceptions, thoughts, and feelings of bliss. I say feelings of bliss because it's manifest bliss. It's not the ultimate bliss of Sat-Chit-Ananda, which is the description of Brahman, which is being consciousness bliss, but it's the feelings that we get of bliss that come and go. So those are the five coverings. And then uh, the job of the seeker, the Janani, is to ascertain the coverings, identify them, and then apply an inquiry they call neti-neti, which is Sanskrit, and it translates not this, not that. So you go look and see, and you say, okay, am I really the body? Well, no, I'm not that. Well, am I the vital life force? No, I'm not that. Not this, not that. Until you get down to what you really are. So this is the Hindu approach to it. Here's what Ashankra, the great Hindu sage, says about it. Wrapped in the five coverings, the Atman remains hidden as water of a pond is hidden by a veil of scum. A man must separate this Atman from every object of experience as a stalk of grass is separated from its enveloping sheaths. In Buddhism, what they consider makes up the self, the deluded self, are the five skandhas. That's usually translated as aggregates or heaps. The idea is not five things here. These are sets of phenomena, collections of phenomena. And they are the material body, sensations, perceptions, mental formations, and self-consciousness. I say self-consciousness here, and I just point this out. If you read a lot of Buddhist literature, they usually won't spell out self-consciousness. They'll just say consciousness. But in the translations of Buddhist texts, somehow the translators got into a, a habit of translating a Sanskrit word that means subject-object consciousness by just the word consciousness. And when they want to use a word uh, that means non-subject-object consciousness, they'll usually use awareness or primordial awareness, pristine awareness, or Buddha mind, or big mind, or universal mind, or something like that. So sometimes it looks like there's a big discrepancy between Hinduism and Buddhism because the Buddhists seem to think consciousness is uh, part of delusion. But it's purely a semantic difference. So just be aware of that. Whenever you see consciousness appear in a Buddhist text, nine times out of ten, just read in self-consciousness or subject-object consciousness. So, in any case, even though the analysis is a little bit different of what makes up a self, they don't have the prana, the vital energy, and so forth, the inquiry is basically the same. And that is, you look at each of these skandhas, and you see, is this really me? And one by one, you eliminate them. Here's how the Buddha describes it. Whatever there be of bodily form, of feeling, perception, mental formations, or self-consciousness, whether one's own or external, whether gross or subtle, lofty or low, far or near, one should understand according to reality and true wisdom. This does not belong to me. This am I not. So again, it's neti neti, right? So this is the kind of inquiry we're going to do here. And I'm giving you examples of how it's done in other cultures. The important thing, however, is not to learn how other cultures analyze the components that go into making up the illusion of self, except to, in order to be able to understand the teachings. But when it comes down to doing your own inquiry, what you need to do is uh, answer the question, what do you think makes up yourself? Rather than try to fit it into some foreign paradigm. 
Because that's the only important thing. Who do you think you are? And whoever you think you are, and whatever those components are, that's what you want to go look at and see if you really are them. So uh, I never thought of myself as Pranya, frankly. So I never bothered to make that an inquiry. In my experience, most Westerners identify themselves with four things. One, the physical body. Two, their emotions. Three, their thoughts. Four, some sort of agent of volition or of self-will, like a spirit, a soul, an ego, if you're uh, more, have a more modern sort of psychological view of things. The decider, the one who decides and the one who initiates action. So, uh, can anybody think of anything else that you think you are? Two. Yes. Is the decider also the witness? Not necessarily, no. I mean, you can witness without deciding anything. Would you like to include a witness? Okay, the witness. Yeah. Well, let's see. If you're, if you happen to catch yourself pretty much constantly, uh, realizing that, oh, oh, okay, wait a second. No, I'm not in control. I'm not doing that. I look, you're just your daily life. Like you slip into something like, uh, you know, a personality that you might, I mean, not, schizophrenic type thing, but just a thing that you do. Like, for example, around our house, I have a nickname from Mrs. Sternhagen. When I get, like, this thing that I do where I'm like, I know how things should be. And, um... Of course you do. (laughs) As opposed to some other people in your household. (laughs) Right? My household's the same, by the way. <laughs> but, I mean, I can't do it anymore without going just immediately, oh, I'm doing this streaming. Mm. And I'm laughing, because I know I'm not okay. in control. So, I mean, there's lots of other examples, chief police, and, you know. <laughs> Oh, you really haven't worked out uh, the whole Commedia dell'arte with all the players in their masks. Yeah. I know, you know, really, that I'm not in control of any of that stuff. Okay, this is a very good point you're bringing up, and actually it means that you've been doing this inquiry, you just don't call it that, but when we realize we're playing a conditioned part and we start to disidentify with it, It means we've looked at that and we're beginning to say, no, that I am not. It's starting to appear to be outside the boundary of self, right? And so this is what the Buddha means when, according to true wisdom and reality, this I am not. So there are some aspects of our behavior that at one time you identify with and then later you start to disidentify with and finally uh, you can break off all identification. So it's a process usually of disidentification. But the insight, what you're looking for, is when you catch yourself doing it, and you say, oh, there's, what, what is it, Stern, what? This is, this is Sternhagen. Sternhagen, <laughs> yes. So it's in the moment of that little recognition, that little realization, not the theory of how you are conditioned to be this way because of your past and all that. You see what I mean? Which is maybe important to get you to look. But it's in the moment. Oh, this isn't me. And that's how you start to become free of it. Right in that moment. And that's a very good concrete example of what we're after in this inquiry, which we're going to do much more formally and systematically, but it's based on the exact same principle. Okay, let's go on here. Today, we're going to start with the first component that most people think they are, and that is our body. Are you your body, is the question. And the first question we're going to ask about that is, is there a body? Is there an inherently existing object 
called a body? Or is the body exactly like the cup that we investigated yesterday and never found any cup? Real cup. We found an imaginary cup. We found an idea of a cup. We found the thought of a cup that itself was impermanent because when we were thinking about it, it was there, but then we forgot about it. So we're going to apply this morning the exact same inquiry to this body and go investigate and see if we can find a real body. And I'm going to give you some guided instruction of things to look for, and then you just look and see for yourself. Okay? Here we go. Now begin by concentrating on your meditation object in order to stabilize your attention. Now place your attention on the top of your head. And see what sensations you feel there. attention down to your forehead, your face, your cheeks, your jaw, the back of your neck. Try to notice in some detail, tension, itch, down to your shoulders, your chest. upper arms, elbows, forearms, hands, 
Notice all these are phenomena arising in the sensation field. Keep moving your attention down through your buttocks, your pelvis. Your thighs. Knees, calves. Ankles. Feet, toes. Notice that all these sensations are impermanent. They arise and they pass in awareness. Allow your attention to Fill the whole sensory field. What we think of as a body. But it's a field of sensation. Notice that even the sensations that seem to hang around for a while If you look closely, they are really little vibrating, tingling phenomena. Constantly moving, constantly rising, passing away. Now, make a bodily sound. Clear your throat or cough or (coughs) a little more quietly. Pay close attention. You can swallow. Notice there are phenomena arising in the sound field. Make a few more. (coughs) Notice they're very different from the sensation phenomena. Notice that they're all impermanent. They arise, pass away. Now become aware of any bodily tastes or smells that may be present. If any are present, notice they are different from the sound phenomena arising in the sound field, the sensation phenomena arising in the sensation field. And if they are present, notice that they are impermanent. Even if an odor lingers around now, it wasn't there before and it will be gone. Now, look at your hand. And if your hand is covered up, uncover it and bring it into your field of vision. Notice that what's appearing is a (coughs) phenomenon in the visual field. A different phenomena from sense phenomena, from sound phenomena from taste or smell phenomena. Now 
to close your eyes and notice the visual phenomena is gone. Open your eyes and notice there's another visual phenomenon. Open and close your eyes slowly a few times and notice how impermanent visual phenomena are. Now let your attention expand into the total field of awareness. Relax and observe. Take a little inventory, a mental inventory, of what it is you think composes a body, sensations, sounds, sights, tastes, smells. All of which arise and pass in consciousness. But is there an objectively existing body apart from those phenomena? Close your eyes and try to imagine an independently existing body underlying all these phenomena. Try to imagine it in some anatomical detail. Lungs, a heart, stomach. Notice that what you are experiencing is a mental phenomena appearing in the mental field of consciousness. Allow it to self-liberate and notice that it's impermanent. Now generate the thought as vividly as possible. There must be a body existing as the basis of all these phenomena that I can correlate together. Notice that what you're experiencing is a phenomena in the mental field, a thought. You allow that thought to self-liberate.
open your eyes. And again, rest in the total field of consciousness awareness. And whatever phenomena arise that you associated with a body, observe how it comes and goes. And see if you detect any underlying, objectively existing thing apart from all those phenomena you would call a body. Did anybody find a body apart from the various phenomena arising in the various fields of consciousness? The thought of a body is still very compelling. Yes. Why am I not surprised? It's been with you since you were knee-high to a grasshopper. And this is why it's important to actually go through the inquiry and to do it repeatedly. We're not going to spend the whole rest of the week just doing the inquiry on the body. As again, I said, I'm teaching you the tools that you can go and use for yourself. Because you're absolutely right. We are so conditioned to think this way and then to believe the thought, it's very hard to crack that. And the only cure is your own experience. Experience will change our perception. So what we're having here is an opportunity to have a different experience. And we want to keep coming back to that. We do this formally here in the meditation, but it's something that you can check out, so to speak, you know, on your own as you're walking around, as you're sitting on the toilet, as you're eating. Just check in every once in a while. Well, is there really a body here? And especially at the times when you are most convinced there is. When you're sick, that's a really good time to do this practice. When you're lying in bed with a fever and a cold and that old donkey is just suffering, and then that's the time to go see, is there really a donkey here? Well, there's, you know, the sensations of, you know, running nose, there's the sound of sneezing and coughing, there's a throbbing headache that's more sensation, you know. But each one of the components is a phenomena arising, passing in the field of consciousness. Yeah. So the body, to me, it, it appears to be a lot more real um, than, say, a cup because of one thing. A cup is 
gone when I close my eyes. However, when I close my eyes, I can still feel sensation. It's always, there's always something with the body to take attention to. Okay, so I was going to give this little instruction later tonight, but I'll jump ahead and give it to you now. There is at least usually one time in the course of 24 hours where we can experience the whole body disappearing from consciousness. Everything we associate with body, that is sensations, sights, coughing and all that. And that is when you're going to sleep. And one of the ways to do this is as you're going to sleep, put your hand on the pillow or the sheet next to your head someplace and put all your attention into your hand and your fingers and the sensation of the fingers on the sheet. And then allow yourself to start falling asleep. And just have these sensations as your focus. And just surrender everything else. Let everything else go to sleep. And you can get to the point where the only, aside from thought, the only thing in consciousness are these little tingling sensations. And then you can allow them to fall out of consciousness and then you can bring them back in. And you can play right on the edge there. And when they're gone, there is no sensation of a body. There's just consciousness and thoughts and maybe some feelings. So when you say never, yes, normally throughout the course of the day, there's this constant fountain of phenomena, sensational phenomena arising. Maybe not all at once, but somewhere there's usually something reminding us to reconstruct the idea of a body under there. But there are special moments where we have no experience of that. If you ever have an operation and are coming out of anesthesia, that's another place where you can experience it. Uh, sometimes coming out of sleep in the morning, oh, that's harder to catch. It's much easier to do going into sleep. So these are areas where you can go explore that very thing. Yeah? Well, I had a question. When we were looking at our hand as visual phenomena, um, like in my peripheral, I could see like Michael's hand, so really, what's the difference between like my hand or his hand or your hand? They're all visual phenomena. Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. See, this is what we're talking about, a direct insight. She didn't say, oh, I get it, I figured it out. That the... No, she saw a direct perception. Yes? Well, I was noticing a version of that when I was looking at, at my hand, and I noticed that I couldn't really see my arm. And so, you know, I could really see my hand, but where was my arm? Well, then I went to sensation. I can feel my arm. So I use sensation to buttress my thought. Arm is there. And I think I got a sense of how the whole story of I works. Yes, we move from the sight, if that's not working, then we use the sensation. If that's not working, then we get a little emotion. If that's not working, we think about it and we remember. I know it was here yesterday. <laughs> I keep it all glued together. The, the, there are all these gaps, but we, we keep the dots, we keep yes. over the line between the oh, dots no. of the story of us. This is wonderful. And actually, to improve the metaphor, we don't stroke over the lines. Go back to that metaphor that the Tibetans use. It's like drawing on water. The minute you draw them, they start to evaporate, so we have to keep drawing. So we're not going over lines that remain, but we have to keep drawing them because they keep wanting to vanish. And we're doing it all the time. Just spinning, 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 spinning. And that's what we're trying to do in these inquiries, is find ways to slow down or interrupt or just stop for a moment so we can see, just so we can see. This is the whole point about becoming mindful. Why we practice. We're fine-tuning our instruments so that we can see. It's like, uh, you know, polishing the glass on our microscope so we can look and see what's really there. Okay. Um, 
Let's move on then, and we'll continue this inquiry about the body. Let's, for a moment, assume that uh, even if we haven't had a direct insight yet, that you at least got an inkling that what the mystics say about there not being an objectively existing, independent, solid body underlying all this phenomena that causes it, maybe that is an imaginary thought or series of thoughts or images that we create in our mind to tie all this phenomena together. But maybe we are just the naked phenomena. I mean, that obviously it appears and disappears, but at least there's something in a certain sense, right? I look at the hand, there is a hand. I am experiencing sensations. Whatever the cause of the sensation. So, regardless of what explains all this, if anything, in a certain sense, we are touching into reality when we don't know what we're experiencing, but we know we're experiencing something. So, maybe we are just these phenomena. Maybe that's it. Maybe we don't have to go any farther. So, that's what we're going to investigate. So I'm going to give you a guided inquiry using our serviceable mind, which we've cultivated in choiceless awareness, our polished instrument, so we can observe precisely what's going on without getting carried away with all sorts of theories and thoughts and whatnot. And we will try one round, guided, trying to examine the relationship between our supposed self and all this naked phenomena that rises and passes away. Okay? So, here we go. So we'll begin by concentrating on a meditation object to stabilize attention. Now close your eyes, place your attention at the top of your head, and begin to scan the sensory field that we call the body. As you become aware of the various sensations, 
the tensions, the itches, the tinglings, the throbbing. Be aware of their impermanence. How they arise and pass in consciousness. Some of the sensations come and go extraordinarily rapidly, like little vibrations. Some linger longer. Whether of long or short duration, notice that they are all impermanent. When you have finished your body scan, allow your attention to fill the whole sensation field. Continue to notice the impermanence sensation phenomena. Now consider that you, the one who feels these sensations, cannot be these sensations because you, whatever that is, do not arise and do not pass. Keeping your eyes closed, generate some bodily sound. <clears throat> or if your breath is audible, listen to the sound of your breath. bodily sounds come and go, but notice that you, the one who hears these sounds, 
cannot be these sounds because you do not come and go. If there are any smells or tastes present, notice them. Notice that smell and taste phenomena are impermanent. They arise and they pass. And then notice that you, the one who experiences smells and tastes, cannot be the smells and tastes because you do not arise and pass. Now open your eyes and look at your hand. Notice that you're seeing a visual phenomena arising in the visual field. Close your eyes and notice that the visual phenomena passes away. Open your eyes and notice the visual phenomena arises. Repeat this closing and opening of the eyes several times. Now notice that you cannot be that visual phenomena you call hand or any other visual phenomena you associate with part of your so-called body because all those visual phenomena come and they go. But you, the one who sees the visual phenomena, do not come. And do not go. Now relax and let your attention expand out into the total field of consciousness awareness. And notice those phenomena that you have associated with a body. The sensations, the sounds, tastes, smells, the sights.
Now generate as vividly as possible the thought there must be a body which is producing all these phenomena that I experience. Allow that thought to self-liberate. Notice that it was impermanent. It came and it went. Now generate the thought. I get it. I am not any of these phenomena. Allow that thought to self-liberate. Notice that thought was impermanent. It came and now it is gone. Notice that you, the one who experiences these thoughts, cannot be any of these thoughts, regardless of the content. They are all impermanent. They come and they go. But you do not come and do not go. Now allow attention to expand again into the total field of consciousness awareness. Notice that all the phenomena in this field, of any of its subfields, whether you consider internal or external, belonging to you or not belonging to you, all of it is impermanent. All of it arises and passes away. But you, the observer of all these phenomena, do not arise and do not pass away. Therefore, you cannot be any of these phenomena. You've now reached the end of this talk.
Continue practicing at least once a day until you are thoroughly familiar with these instructions. Then continue with the next talk for more teachings and instructions.